Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Past guests include Kevin King, Howard Tai, and Roland Frazier. Today, I'm speaking with Jeff Campbell, a top-rated e-commerce consultant and a digital marketing expert. And we are going to be talking a lot about marketplace expansion and profitability metrics to track that are going to lead to scale. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Jeff, I started my business back in 2015, and I grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years, but I made a lot of mistakes along the way that made the path of getting to eight figures take a lot longer than it needed to. There were times where I had a lot of self-doubt as to whether my brand could actually survive or whether we had the profitability to be able to continue to survive and invest in new products. So for our listeners that are encountering some of those obstacles or stumbling blocks and want to know the next steps to take their business to the next level, then go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com and in your subject line, say strategy audit and then plead your case as to why I should choose you and your brand to work with for this month. Now, I'm super excited to introduce you all to Jeff Campbell. Jeff is a digital marketing veteran, an e-commerce entrepreneur, and professor at Wake Forest University. His strategic vision and operational approach have led multiple successful business acquisitions and exits. Jeff currently leads AI Commerce a global digital agency focused on marketplaces and e-commerce, which he co-founded in 2020. So with that introduction, welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks for having me, Josh. I'm excited. Jeff, I'm, I'm super excited to have you on. You truly are a veteran and you've worked with some very established brands to help them grow and succeed. You've helped brands exit. So you're a wealth of knowledge. You've seen you know, where a lot of our listeners hope to be you know, five to 10 years from now. And I'm looking forward to the actionable advice and strategies that you'll share with our listeners that can help them get to those goals even faster. Uh, but as we dive in, Jeff, you know, maybe tell us a little bit more. What is AI commerce? AI is a, such a buzzword right now. It's But tell us what AI commerce is and all the cool stuff that you're doing there to help e-commerce brands expand and grow. Yeah, you bet, Josh. Um... We started as brand owners on the manufacturing side and really grew those brands through marketplaces. Uh, we own about 11 brands still uh, and found as we're buying and selling brands, not everybody wants to be bought or sold. So we rolled out an agency model uh, or a consultancy. And so AI commerce and what I run is really that world um, where we take a lot of the learnings, the people, the process, the technology from uh, our success over the many years and apply them uh, in an agency model to, to other brands. And from an AI perspective, you're right, it's a buzzword. It seems like a, a great domain that we chose uh, many years ago that, uh, that now is probably worth a lot more, maybe more than the company itself. But um, we do use a combination of artificial intelligence as well as human intelligence. Uh, you know, as, as much as the buzz might have you believe, there's not going to be anytime soon replacing of, of, of human intelligence uh, in this world, making the right decisions, understanding the right budget shifts and portfolio uh, of of advertising and um, and optimization and more. So that's uh, that's what we spend a lot of time doing, working heavily in the mid market uh, with all sorts of brands, looking to grow on marketplaces and through different e commerce channels. I love it. Yes, uh, you you must have had a lot of foresight there in in choosing that brand name. Be curious to see what that uh, that domain would be valued at now. Yeah. Uh, now, Jeff, I love that you one of the focuses there is kind of like marketplace expansion. 
and you're you're kind of doing that for the 11 brands you own and then like you said it's like hey let's turn this into an agency model and kind of replicate the same thing to other brands that want to scale but aren't ready to exit quite yet so maybe tell me a little bit more about why marketplace expansion is so important for a brand that might have already achieved seven figures selling on one single platform such as Amazon, you could make an argument, hey, just keep doubling down on Amazon. Why would it be important to consider marketplace expansion? Right. Uh, the two quick reasons are diversification uh, and second is consumer behavior. And I read a study um, in late 2022 that really uh, opened, opened my eyes and it found it was from the Association of National Advertisers, found 56% of brands use more than five retail media networks or marketplaces, if you will. 16% uh, of those use more than 10. Uh, and only 8% in that study used one. So the peak of Amazon in 2021 probably won't, well, while the size will grow, their share of the market is only declining because uh, of consumer choice and, and, and behavior. And Generation Z, Gen Z is one of the big focus areas that's up and coming. And the, the research shows those folks go to more, more platforms, buy through social commerce and websites and marketplaces and, and more than any generation before. So we need to uh, think about that consumer behavior. We need to understand that consumer behavior doesn't stick to just one channel, even when it might be two thirds of the market, um, for example, Amazon, and then diversification, right? Uh, we've all been there. And in, in the last many months, years, we've seen Amazon maybe take advantage of that uh, position a little bit. You know, we've seen prices go up from shipping and storage to, to, uh, to even CPCs and ad prices. So we look at some of the new data over the last year of Walmart. I mean, CPCs are, are much lower. Uh, return ROAS is actually higher because of those lower CPCs and conversion rates are strong. So they're on the heels of mm -hmm. Amazon, but there are over 40 uh, retail media networks out there uh, right now. And the majority of them are, are less than three years old. So it's about testing and learning and, and diversification and following that consumer behavior. I love that. Makes a lot of sense in, in terms of, you know, the Amazon PPC, you know, ad costs and CPCs are just shooting through the roof. It's getting more and more saturated in every niche, right? And to your point, what COVID did to Amazon is it exploded their growth and they grew the, you know, what they were projecting to do over the next five to 10 years in one year, right? right. And so you've got all of this quick adoption to where there's not a whole lot else <clears throat> that they're going to be able to grow in terms of you know, the overall market share. Um, so I think that that is super important. And as I think about marketplace expansion, I also think that, you know, the different customer behaviors, some customers really love to shop in store, right? Physical, I need to touch it and feel it before I purchase something. And you've got other people that don't like Amazon, right? right. That will do anything they can to not buy something on Amazon. So you've got that segment of customers. And then like you talked about, you've got an up and coming generation where they want to hear and actually buy more from what their friends are saying. It basically it's word of mouth marketing, but on steroids, right? Because of social media and TikTok and what that has done. Um, so I love that. Now, Jeff, if I'm on board and I want to, you know, get into extra marketplaces and I primarily started on Amazon. What would be the next marketplaces that you would, you know, provide as maybe a strategic roadmap to say these are the ones I would tackle and in which order? Yeah, there's there's two routes. Let me first go with what might be an extension of the current, and that's a B2B focus. So mm -hmm. if you're on Amazon already, um, give a lot of consideration and a slight discount for both purchases and go into Amazon B2B. That's an easy kind of first step, and it's not exactly a new marketplace, but it is a new market, right? And if you're finding that B2B works, um, this is a high growth area as well. You've got FAIR and Tundra and, and many others. And then I think we're segueing more into the vertical specific marketplaces. So do your research. Um, to your question, Walmart's number two, right? Target's out there as a, as a leader. 
So I, you know, I think you know the the large ones, um, you know, Kroger and some grocery, but you're going to get vertical specific very, very quickly. So yeah. if you're at all anywhere in grocery, you know, it's a no brainer to go into to Walmart. Um, and then some of the different places like Instacart, if you're in store as well. Uh, but you'll also find building material specific marketplaces like Supply Hog. Um, just these random random places that you have to uh, research a bit. And and I, I could see that as a pretty big trend. I mean, I, I love outdoors and sporting goods. And like, I'd love to go to one place and just view a marketplace that is specific to outdoor and, and sporting goods, right? And that doesn't exist yet, but I would say it would. Or one of these retailers, like a Dick Sporting Goods, picks up on that and really blows it out um, as one of their, their new models. So we'll see. Um, but I would right now follow the numbers and then look at your vertical uh, experience or expertise and say, are there specific vertical engines? Uh, and then third, B2B. Um, that's, a, that's a big growth area. Uh, the procurement uh, folks that are buying that you used to have those relationships with, you used to go and visit, they're younger, right? And they're used to marketplaces and seeing all sorts of prices online. And that's much easier for them too. And if you don't like to talk to people and you want speed to a, a sale, I'm much, I have a much greater reach now to go to a B2B marketplace and buy via that versus some traditional channels and, and go through some long negotiations and whatnot. So some interesting stuff out there to expand into. Yeah, I love that. Now. If I've if I'm on that train of yeah I, I'm ready to diversify right or I want to expand my channels the challenge then becomes who's going to own that right because some sometimes especially if you're getting into wholesale or creating new relationships it's one thing to turn on B two B on Amazon it's a whole other thing to start saying I'm going to ship products in and sell them wholesale to Kroger or a Dick's Sporting Goods or something like that. It's almost an entirely new business model. Where do you recommend, you know, a business owner kind of begins with their resources until they know like, hey, maybe there's some legs underneath this channel? Yeah, I think you mentioned the kind of wholesaler model. Um, that needs to be one of your initial decisions is do you want to get into wholesaling? When you wholesale, um, you get a guaranteed PO uh, purchase order with, uh, you know, some big numbers on it and somebody's buying it. but then. When you sell it to them at that discount, you lose a lot of control, right? You might see them popping up on some of the marketplaces and competing against you, right? They might have control or the ability to have a lower price uh, because they're cool with thinner margins than what you or other partners are doing. So you get into channel conflict pretty quick. And we all know Amazon's out there scraping all the other websites and you lose that buy box if, if, if a lower price is found. So the first decision or one of the first decisions is kind of that 1P versus uh, 3P. Uh, relationship and a lot of those target right now um, and and several others you only have that wholesaler option um, and mm -hmm. I see that changing is every every other day we're seeing the three p uh, marketplaces pop up and that one p is uh is 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 somewhat decreasing and we have a lot of clients even with amazon in in the one p vendor central relationships where they want to take that control back and they're actually moving to uh, more of a 3P controlled model um, and control their own destiny a little bit more. And, and Amazon is, they're tough negotiators, right? Uh, a lot of costs are going up in the world and uh, Amazon might not be having it or whoever your wholesale partners might not be having those price increases. So you might wanna take that into your own, in your own hands and control. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think what you just shared with everybody is so important to consider that if you start, you know, let's say you're interested in this wholesale model. And so you take your products and you're like, I'm going to launch them on fair. Yeah. Now, there are just so everybody's aware, there are business models that exist that people acquire those products on fair and then they go and repost them on Amazon. Right. And it will undercut you because like you mentioned, they're willing to have a lower margin right? Maybe they don't have as much overhead, whatever it is, or they're, they're, the name of their game is just mass quantity of products, right? And so they're just making a little bit of margin on every single one. Um, I think that's super important to differentiate. Like, are you trying to go the 1P route or the 3P route? Are there any guidelines that you would give um, to our listeners? 
I mean, the the control and profitability, I think, you know, volume versus profitability and control are probably the big considerations. I think fulfillment is another one. Um, you know, if, if you lack the ability to fulfill directly to consumers, um, you know, that that might make it tough on some marketplaces to do that, because if you're relying, say, on Amazon, you start on Amazon like most e-commerce sellers do. You know, FBA fulfilled by Amazon using the Amazon warehouse is a pretty solid solution. Um, Walmart it also very solid solution with Walmart fulfillment now. Um, but beyond that, you might have some sort of drop shipping. You might need a new 3PL relationship. Uh, you know, you might have to ship some things out of your own garage. And those are those are another important uh, you know consideration after after the 1P 3P that usually is is the next on the list. The next is, you know, probably the audience of, of the different channels that we talked about a little bit earlier. And then your competitive advantage, right? If you're not priced well, you don't have strong differentiators, um, you might not have a brand people are aware of. Those are all considerations as well as who, who you might partner with and how much control you want to give them. So all, uh, all important things to think about um, as you expand. Yeah. So much that goes in to that decision. Now, Jeff, as you've worked with numerous brands and you've worked with some very large ones as well, I think one of the key things in order to really scale a brand to not only eight figures, but even to nine figures and beyond is understanding your profitability metrics and also just you know, metrics in general, right? Not just profitability, but metrics and how these metrics will be your kind of mile markers in terms of are you heading down the right path or not? Um, and Jeff, I think you have a framework, you know, that you could kind of wrap this all around. So why don't you, you know, kind of share those details with our listeners? Yeah, sure. We, we have a, a five step process, um, which, you know, hopefully isn't rocket science. But again, putting it in perspective and in more of a process helps a lot of people think through this as they expand. And the first I had just talked about is really around market intelligence, right? What is your positioning? What's your competition look like? We all remember the, the P's of marketing, product, place, price, et cetera. Um, those, are, those are what you need to look at first to make sure there is an opportunity. Second is to do the profitability analysis. And this entails looking at your, your cost of goods sold, uh, as well as any returns and shipping costs, packing, um, damaged goods, et cetera and understanding what your contribution margin is. So you take your, and I would extremely recommend this at the product level, if you have a, a variance of products and, and AOV, average, average order values. So if you've got one $40 product, um, you know, what's it take to deliver to the consumer all in advertising, or let's say everything pre-advertising costs. So maybe there's $20 of variable costs, the shipping, the COGS, um, you know, Amazon fees or whatever commission of the marketplace. So let's say that costs $20 and you've got $20 then left um, to spend or pocket to make that $40 sale. So from there, we all know the, the ROAS, return on ad spend, cost or sales divided by cost, right? Um, so we'll take that $40 sale divided by $20 of cost and it's basically a two to one uh, break even ROAS. So that's some easy math. Um, yep. Also, a quick shout out to ACOS, um, average cost of sale. If you are speaking in ACOS, it is not a red flag, but a flag that you're Amazon specific, right? You've only done Amazon. And some partners might, uh, you know, and again, that's just the inverse of ROAS. It's cost divided by sales and it's yep. displayed as a percent, where ROAS is the how many, you know, for every dollar spent, how many dollars of, uh, of revenue do you get? So I convert everything as you're thinking beyond Amazon to ROAS. That's the industry standard. You're going to mainly see that in any type of interfaces and platforms and technology that you use. But getting to that break-even ROAS number, or if you want to still use a break-even ACOS, knowing what that is. Because so many of these, and we've all learned from Amazon, you're not going to be an overnight millionaire, right? Amazon is, is notorious for making you prove a good customer experience to see ratings and reviews, to see high velocity of, of sales before they start giving you love and organic and even giving you a little discount on your CPCs because it is a good customer experience. The other platforms are going to work the same way. It is going to take an investment. So knowing that break even at the product level um, is going to help you 
whether you're doing it manually or using some third-party technology, we use technology and we set that ROAS goal and say, hey, maximize my rank and my spend as long as I'm above a $2 ROAS or whatever it might be for that product. And that the AOV for that product we were talking about was $40, but I might have one that's $140, right? I might have um, maybe the same 50% variable cost, but I've now got a lot more money to play with for advertising or, or for profitability. And so I'm probably going to have a different goal for, for that product at a higher AOV than something that's lower AOV. So all yeah. considerations, and you probably, again, want some sort of technology to manage all the keywords, all the products uh, to these uh, you know, bidding rules to say, if I'm at or above a certain ROAS, you know, to the moon with volume, let's make sure we get there. But you want to make sure you have that efficiency floor in there, and then you want to uncap volume. Uh, but again, it's going to take several, several months uh, at times to kind of prove yourself and get the, get the velocity you're looking for. Uh, and we always say it's a you know, marathon, not a sprint, just like Amazon. So yeah. back, back to the process. Um, so you know, step two, so step one, market intelligence. Step two, profitability analysis. Step three is content optimization. For the most part, as you expand, you can use what's worked on Amazon. Um, if you've got your product images and your videos and some of your, your keywords, that's really easy to kind of port over or if you have a product feed to port over into these other channels. But you're still going to need to test and learn around, you know, different titles and descriptions and keyword targets and adjust to what competition is doing as well. Fourth, On that note, yep. Jeff, real quick, I'm curious, like, is it a one to one kind of ratio? Like whatever I'm doing on Amazon, can I just copy and paste it over to Walmart or to Etsy or to whatever channel I want to be selling on? Or are you finding that, you know, hey, you've got to create Amazon specific, you know, content and copy because the keywords and the way they work is different than it is on on Walmart. And what image might work on Amazon is not working on Walmart, vice versa. What are you seeing from that perspective? Yeah, start with the lift and shift, right? Um, so take take what you've proven on Amazon and, and, and that's your starting point. Customize from there. Um, one area I think we really find interesting is is price. Um, Amazon is no doubt notorious for just being kind of the low the low cost shopping list. Hey, I, I need something. It's it's more of a commodity. I'm just going to look for the lower price um, on some of these other marketplaces. Maybe test a higher price of the, of the same thing. So it's cheaper on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Sure. But maybe it's more expensive on Walmart or whatever. Um, and that that might help. You might find a consumer base and you might even get some lessons that funnel back to Amazon that you can then test and learn with. But for the most part, it is a it is a lift and shift and then starting to work. You know, they all have kind of some special ad types and some special content areas that you can work to tweak. But largely, yes, um, what you've worked hard with Amazon is going to translate uh, largely over to other marketplaces. Awesome. Good. All right. Sorry to interrupt. Let's go to step four. You're good. Step four is really around advertising, right? And to to that question, um, similarly, they all have a, you know, every every marketplace has a different advertising, you know, methodology, ad types, et cetera. So some usually start in more nascent uh, marketplaces or, or on like an auto campaign, like we know from Amazon, hopefully everybody has evolved into manual campaigns. Uh, on Amazon, and it's very similar. We're seeing more and more control over the time uh, come out for the WalMarts and the and the Targets and more, but they still do heavily rely on auto auto campaigns. But you are going to want some sort, as I was mentioning, some sort of AI or ML uh, to understand where to put your money, um, where to focus, uh, and then you know on an hourly basis or whatever, you know, take advantage of different trends, and and you know, hopefully again something's everybody's already doing on Amazon. When your competitors run out of stock or their ads stop, you're going to see changes in your CPCs and on, on your conversion rates. Um, and I really hope somebody's got some AI in there bidding you up and taking advantage of that and making sure you get to first place while the getting's good or they've run out of budget after 8 p.m. and the CPC's lower, but conversion rates are, are flat. So that AI, um, that advertising is, again, something to think about um, and a lot of people who have agencies too, you know, I would guess down the road, you don't want a specific Amazon only agency or even marketplace agency. You need to, and, and this is kind of getting to step five, which is holistic management. 
uh, and measurement, you need to look across all these channels and understand like, hey, I need to move some budget over here because it's working really well. And if you have all these little fiefdoms internally or externally with agencies and partners, that's that's a lot harder to do because everybody's going to protect their budgets, right? Um, yep. That's their power. I've got big budgets here, but if it's not working, you need a system and to think through a system of how you can shift and be agile based on performance because, like I say, it can change hourly and we need to be uh, be smart about that. And that goes all the way through to like thinking through, you know, inventory agility. Um, yeah. If you got a whole bunch at, you know, at Amazon, but you need it at Walmart, whew, what's plan B, right? Do you have some sort of like uh, merchant fulfilled system that you can move into? Um, if, you know, the FBW fulfilled by Walmart uh, inventory runs out uh, or what, what does it cost to shift over from Amazon, which has fees as well. But holistic measurement, making sure that's in place and making sure you're, you're focused on the right metrics. Um, you know, you mentioned some of the brands I've worked with, uh, you know, the Apples, the Mercedes Benz, uh, big, big brands. And to them, it's it's extremely different what they're looking at for metrics. Uh, compared to a lot of the, the smaller upstarts, uh, new, new businesses, new products. And, and ROAS is always the go-to, right? Return on ad spend or, or ACOS, if you're familiar with that one. Um, you know, I'll, I guess I'd urge listeners to think about uh, customer acquisition costs and lifetime value, especially if you're in you know, food or in any sort of category where there's repeat purchases, to look at ROAS and that single sale profitability is a little short-sighted, right? You probably want to build a brand. And if you've got a good product, and I'll use the food example that people are going to come back for, look more at the cost of that first, first sale. I was an affiliate for Amazon back in the day, and they used to pay um, $50 and $100 uh, CPAs, cost per acquisition, when I got a sale for them, which was like averaging $25. And I'm like, Amazon, how can you afford to pay me 50 bucks for every $25 sale. And they're like, oh, we've got a 10-year model. And this was over 10 years ago. And they've definitely made more money for me and I think most users that they've acquired because yeah. it's a good thing and people are going to come back and do it more. So, you know, to, to think like Amazon a little bit as, as you're um, thinking about marketplaces and e-commerce. And of course, we all hope they come back to the website, right? You don't have to pay all these commissions and fees, but to look at that as a, a customer acquisition cost or, or look at lifetime value, uh, understand those repeat purchases is part of that measurement process you need to think through and go beyond ROAS, which you're not wrong. That's what the majority are doing. But those brand builders are thinking about customer acquisition costs instead of a single sale profit. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And, and ultimately, you want to not just acquire the front end customer. You want to have somebody that becomes a repeat purchaser. Right. right. And I think so many people, especially if you start on Amazon, you're just driving for those front end sales. It's only as good as who's going to buy my product today instead of the focus of who bought my product last month. What else can I offer them? What is there anything that you've done with your agency or with previous experience to really start turning a business that the average order for or I guess the average number of orders per customer instead of it being one, you start increasing it to two to three. Because that's where you start to get this flywheel of, all right, I can spend, I could even spend more to acquire this customer that it's not even break even. I'm losing money on the front end, but I make it up in the long, in, in the long run. So are there any strategies or advice you would share to our listeners in order to help get those second, third, fourth sales and repeat purchases? Yeah, I, I can't stress enough how important first party data is, uh, specifically email addresses. So if you can get them to your website to somehow register a product or, and, and you know, there's some rules with Amazon of, you know, how, how you can get information, what you can stick in the box, et cetera. But um, figure that out, because I think that first party data is going to be so crucial for brand owners in the future for targeting as, as privacy laws will hopefully come out soon. And and um, and the data sharing of, of the platforms are probably going to stay heavily with the platform. So. Um, here and now, uh, rant over about 1P data, you know, Amazon and most of these platforms have some sort of retargeting, right? So if you know that you're, you're hawking air filters and they go out every three months and you need a replacement, use your email database if you have it. Use some of the, the first-party data of your platforms, be it, you know, Amazon or Walmart, 
A lot of that does take some DSP um, work, which comes with a higher price tag. But um, retargeting is one strong, strong way to, to remind people about uh, the previous purchase and time to, uh, to repurchase. Um, I think that's probably the big one. Again, the email relationship. And again, having first-party data to be able to do that. And then from there, creating lookalike models, right? So understanding the behaviors of those folks and starting to target people um, to make maybe their first purchase because they look a lot a lot like or they act and behave like uh, past purchasers of yours too. Works really well for that initial and then you can retarget them as well. Yeah, makes great sense. I love that. Now, Jeff, I would love to dive in further into these profitability or just overall metrics that people should be tracking that become those mile markers that lead to scale. And let's dive deep into what each of those, you know, metrics mean and how, you know, let's say take an e an Amazon e-commerce seller today, how they should be tracking them now and maybe some of the tools they should be using to make sure that they're setting up the correct foundation. Sure, sure. Um... So, you know, I, I, I'd really look at making sure you are tracking the standard, you know, impressions, clicks, click-through rate, um, you know, cost, CPC, et cetera. Um, we always want to look at that variability of CPC. That's really important. Um, some, some of the other ones, uh, the new-to-brand metrics where you can get them, uh, the cost per orders, and kind of go into that customer acquisition cost and LTV. Um, so CPO, cost per order, is, is important. Um, and then as we as we know, especially with Amazon and some of the other marketplaces are starting to do this, the reliance and, and relationship between paid and organic, the more you pay to get some keyword wins, um, the more you're going to see yourself organic. So you have to compile some of those um, sales from both paid and organic channels against the cost of the advertising, because there is a relationship there. So looking at that total row as or that total ACOS or tacos, as the hungry yep. people like to say, uh, is important as well. Um, yeah, so I think those are the main ones. In terms of technology, there's nothing wrong with good old Excel, right? Um, get your pivot table skills rocking. Um, be able to download and import. You can get fancy with some APIs and, and automations and some real cool reports and some BI dashboards, but don't be ashamed of just using Excel or, or Google Sheets, right? I, I still do almost on a daily basis. Um, have some great macros that I can download and it customizes and, and beautifies some of that data immediately. But you need to be looking at a lot of that data, you know, daily. Uh, but then really the insights and actions need to come monthly and quarterly. So make sure the time frame you're looking at the cups of data uh, and looking at it, um, you know, year over year and week over week or quarter over quarter year, you know, whatever it might be are all there. Because I think those long term mixed with short term trends are all important. I've seen way too many people uh, overreact on a short view of that data, um, where many times a competitive strategy could be is I'm going to I'm going to come big, spend a ton of money, lose it. But I'm going to basically buy out my competitors because I know they can't withstand, um, you know, paying this for a month. Right. Yeah. And they're gone. And then month two is extremely profitable. And by month three, they've made up all that money. So, again, to kind of look at some of those longer term uh, trends as well and. We are, I think, seeing more traditional, larger offline advertisers come into the space. And I know Amazon and other platforms are making it really easy for, you know, the yeah. auto or insurers and banks to come in and, and advertise here, too, because there are eyeballs of some of those consumers. And there are some behaviors you can target against that's relevant, even though they're not really in the e-commerce game. So competition is mm. going to get fierce. And to your point, that's why we're uh, making sure we're watching those, uh, those KPIs uh, very closely. One one other point I'll also make, and I see it as a common mistake. So you, you heard earlier, the majority of, 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 of brands don't know their break-even, which is somewhat mind-blowing. Why do you want a $6 ROAS? Well, because it was five and we want better. Well, okay. <laughs> like That volume and efficiency relationship is kind of the second thing that a lot of people miss. And you always need to have a counterbalance, right? So if your focus is efficiency, then you have volume... Um, which might be sales and, and ROAS as your efficiency as a counterbalance, because there are so many metrics we can track that so many times, well, hey, my click-through rates are down. Does, it, does that matter, right? Like, well, you know, we're using a little more display, a little less search, so that's gonna happen. But it's relevant customer, it's a relevant keyword, you know, 
CPCs are up. Okay, that might matter. Um, but again, figure out what your main volume and your main efficiency and then kind of the uh, relationship between the two. Do you want efficiency first and then volume? Do you want volume first, then efficiency? That's, um, you know, analysis paralysis, as some people say. There's just too many metrics out there. Boil it down to the two most important um, is another, another key takeaway. And those two most important would be your break-even ROAS, correct? And then what else? And sales, sales volume. Um, so that's, that's what the majority of folks are out there working with. But again, that's, that's not looking at um, customer acquisition and lifetime value and repeat purchases. So again, yeah. the majority of people are performance channel. I need a sale and I need a profitable sale. It's ROAS and, and revenue. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. Now, Jeff, I, I love that you mentioned as you're tracking these metrics, even if it's just an Excel, um, that you're not you don't pigeonhole yourself to where you're only looking at, oh, well, this happened yesterday. So I'm completely changing directions and doing this. You're looking at things over a monthly or a quarterly trend. I'm curious, do any case studies or examples come to mind um, just to give our listeners some perspective of, hey, in this brand, and we don't have to share brand names, but. In this particular brand, we saw that our, you know, CPCs were shooting through the roof for whatever reason. And so we had to, this was our strategy that we implemented or we were losing impressions. And these are some of the actions that we took. Yeah. Um, and so you're asking about like what type of actions or just scenarios? Yeah, just maybe some scenarios and maybe case mm -hmm. studies. I don't know, like practical examples that you've seen that if you're not looking at data, right? and you're not looking at these KPIs, you're kind of missing the mark in terms right. of what you should be working on in your business. Right, right. Yeah, with a, with a, a food brand right now, um, we're struggling a little bit because I think we're over-focused on ROAS uh, right now. And again, if it's good food and people would make a repeat purchase, you know, maybe we need to look a little beyond ROAS. But as we look at the, the keywords of, that, that directly describe what they're selling, um, they're not they're not affordable for the AOV and the and the conversion rate that we're getting. So um, let me back up. This is another important point for listeners. Is it's a age old retail formula and it works offline and started offline and kind of most people have brought it online. But it's you know the sales revenue formula is revenue equals traffic times AOV times conversion rate. So yep. you know online I can control traffic AOV and conversion rate. And so we know from conversion rate, there's ways from, you know, improving the price to, you know, better reviews, better titles, descriptions, that's all going to help. From an AOV, we can bundle, we can increase our price, et cetera. And from traffic, we have all sorts of keywords and displays and targeting and even different channels and, and whatnot um, that we can, we can work with. So when you back up, those are the three things that we really need to think about. And so back to the example of the food brand. Those CPCs were too high, three and four dollars, and the AOV was only ten dollars. So we had to have almost a fifty percent conversion rate to make it work. So you know, our choice—if we can't improve AOV or conversion rate—we need to find cheaper traffic sources. And and that's one example where Walmart was was a savior, and it came in. And it was about a third of the price in CPCs, and you added that traffic into that equation with everything else being constant. We were able to make it work, right? So again, going back to like, know your most important KPIs and keep, keep an idea of those three levers, traffic, AOV, and conversion rate is what you are going to control the most to have the outcome of, of better revenue. I love that. I think that is such a good example that you just shared there of, you know, taking a look and seeing, hey, my CPCs are getting high, my ROAS, it's not efficient. What do I do? Right. And then that led to the conversation. How do I drive cheaper traffic? Right. Are there any other case studies or examples that come to your mind like that? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think through some other optimizations. You know, I mentioned I mentioned earlier the new data that Amazon provides. And again, something that Google and others have provided for many years is is understanding your conversion rates and your CPCs by hour of the day. Right. And use day part. Again, unfortunate for Amazon, it doesn't let you day part. Um, the native platforms in Facebook or Meta and, and Google, they all let you uh, day part now. So I can now understand that at night when I didn't think people were shopping or on the weekends or Fridays before a weekend is when the getting's good, right? Conversion rates are highest. Um, I can realize that 
CPCs actually drop off later in the day because, again, Amazon's a great example. They don't spread your budget across the day very well. So people run out by noon or by 8 p.m. And, and then I've got less competition at night. Conversion rates hold. I'm still pretty good. So those are a few other uses of data and technology uh, we certainly employ with a lot of our brands and, and partners that we work with that, that help returns quite a bit, efficiency quite a bit. Yeah, makes, makes a lot of <clears> sense. <throat> uh, Jeff, this has been super valuable. Um, are there is there anything else on the top of your mind that we haven't yet shared with the audience that you think would be important for them to hear to help them grow to those that eight figures and beyond to really help them in scaling? Yeah, um, I, I love the quote, uh, profit is vanity and, and I'm sorry, revenue is vanity and profit is sanity. So no offense to your listeners, but yeah, you know, seven, eight figures, cool. What's your profit, right? Um, and that's, 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 I think, one of the more important approaches is being able to grow profitably versus just grow. And again, it takes a lot of the data and numbers to do that. So that's one, one quote that certainly rings in my ear. I've got written in front of me and I use it quite a bit. So that's an important one. Yeah, I think I, I love that quote as well. We talked <laughs> about that offline as well. I, I align with that wholeheartedly. The, the third part, which I leave out conveniently, is cash is king. So revenue is vanity. Profit is sanity, cash is king, but we'll just go with the first two thirds. I like that. Now, one final question before we start to wrap things up here for you. What do you envision, you know, over the next five to 10 years? How do you think, you know, e-commerce in general is going to change and evolve so that we could start, you know, trying to skate to where the puck is going? Yeah, um, I I. I guess it's more of a question, but it's certainly a trend I'm seeing is like, how how is this world going to come together of people buying on websites, which seems to be declining a bit, marketplaces, which is growing quite a bit, and then social commerce, which I think is kind of the new the new person in the stage. People don't want to leave TikTok or Instagram and they want to fully purchase there and not share their email address or credit card with yet another website or or marketplace. So You've kind of got this, um, you know, three-way grouping of where where e-commerce is is uh, being sold right now, or products are being sold right now, and is there going to be a winner? Is there going to be a fourth player? Um, so it's interesting. But as a brand, it's a real conundrum, right? Because you want them to go to your website, but that's kind of the declining group of the three, and you're, you know, you, you've got like, all right, well, how do I how do I bring all that content in, in somebody else's platform? How do I capture and build that relationship data, um, you know, in somebody else's platform. So that's a that's a real struggle, but I think is uh, is something important for all brands to start thinking about and understand their portfolio. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, we talked a little about the data and first party data. I think that's going to be a big big uh, key to future success is owning that relationship and and finding a way to get the data. Um, what else? Um, you know, I think those are the big ones off the top of my head that, you know, that might not have been uh, covered in covered in depth yet. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I, I do see the game changing quite a bit that over the next decade or so, I think the brands that are going to win are going to be the brands that have audiences and the people that can drive traffic or have that influence are going to be the ones that survive. I think, you know, it's going to be an ancient business model of just coming up with a product and throwing it up on on some platform and that spray and pray approach because it's getting more saturated. It's getting more difficult. The the cat's out the bag. Everybody knows about Amazon now. It's a no hidden secret. And so brand and audience win at the end of the day. And and building a brand, right? Um, that that is that is gonna matter more than price. And it is an investment to do it. But if you're in a commodity space and you look at the cost of your goods sold or maybe where they're being manufactured, and if that's not here and there's cheaper ways to do it, you've got some competition, right? I think 70, 70 some percent of new sellers on Amazon were China-based. In, in mm -hmm. China, um, it's I think almost 60% of their sales are online where we're only 20% in the US. They're darn good at this. So again, if you have a brand that's built that stands for something, it gets people to your website. It builds that relationship, that repeat nature. Um, I get it. It's not easy, um, and it, it might not even be an option for many people. But again, if you're if you're playing in the bottom funnel only, you're thinking about ROAS. Um, you know, you, you might want to change up 
how you think, because some of those waters are bloody. And, and that goes back to our initial point. Maybe there's other marketplaces. Maybe it's social commerce. Maybe it's B2B where there is some blue ocean and people can still win um, with maybe not having the strongest differentiators or brand. Fantastic summary. And uh, I think brand is so important. Now, Jeff, I love to leave our audience with three actionable takeaways from each episode. Here are the three that I noted, but let me know if you think I'm missing something. Action item number one, I'm going to say is know your numbers. If you are not tracking your numbers right now, even if it's as simple as Excel right now, and I know Amazon has their business reports, but you've got to interpret those business reports and actually create some KPIs that are going to mean something to you and your business that you can make decisions around. So first and foremost would be understand your numbers. That's a whole podcast conversation in and of itself of how to do that, pivot tables, but there's a lot of resources available out there. Action item number two would be implementing a quarterly or monthly review of these numbers that you are tracking. Because just because you're tracking these things and you might be taking a glance at them every day and you know, I think here's the thing that I hear the most about Amazon sellers is they've got their seller app on their phone and they love refreshing. They love refreshing and just saying, oh, today's a good day. Today's a good day. That's not important. What you need to do is at the end of the month, what, how do I measure my data against my KPIs? And then like the example that you shared with the, the food um, and the grocery space, you need to be able to interpret, hey, our CPCs are too high. All we need to do with this equation is like, can we find a cheaper channel? And then that's going to shift your entire business strategy and it could lead to better decisions instead of constantly being on this hamster wheel of trying to push a rock uphill and it keeps coming back down um, because you're not working on the things that are actually driving the biggest results. Correct. Yep. Beautiful. Could have said better myself. (laughs) Good. Good. Action item number three, I think, is once you've established those, you know, financial, your metrics tracking and then implementing those monthly quarterly reviews, then last but not least, then implementing this outward approach of, okay, now how do I expand maybe my channels my and my distribution? Because if you don't understand the basics and the ROI of your ads and all of that good stuff to begin with, you're just making the problem more complicated as soon as you expand on different channels. So those are my three action items for our listeners. Jeff, is there anything else you would add to that? Those are, those are great. You nailed it. Thanks, Josh. Awesome. All right, Jeff, let's ask you the three questions I like to ask each guest. So question number one is what has been the most influential book that you've read and why? Yeah. I mean, good, good, great. Jim Collins is uh, early in my startup days was a big one. Some themes like get on and off the bus and find the seats later. And, you know, that one's a little cliche. So I'm, I'm currently listening to one now called Never Split the Difference on Negotiation. And for those that are ever thinking about 1P wholesaler relationships um, or just just general business uh, negotiating salaries or, or pricing with some uh, Vendors, manufacturers, et cetera. Never split the difference was a is so far a very good book, and I've I've taken a lot from a uh, FBI negotiator uh, and applying it to to business in some real situations. So that's uh, that's my book. I have I've got that one on Audible as well. Highly yeah. recommend it as well. The, we must the algorithms. We're in some lookalike audience together. I'm we sure must be. <laughs> Next question. What is a your favorite productivity tool or maybe a new software tool that you've recently discovered that you think is a, a game changer? Yeah. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little biased because in, in my role now and trying to keep track of a lot of conversations with a lot of different businesses is, is some CRM software. So I talked about the importance of first party data. Uh, Hub, HubSpot is, uh, has been awesome. Uh, we've, we've been brought that on in the last few months and it's been pretty amazing what it can do, what it can track and uh, helping me with project management, follow up, et cetera. So that's a, that's a big one um, from a kind of marketplace standpoint. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking for a good competitive intelligence tool. And you know, I think there's a there's a few out there. Some are very pricey. Um, so I guess that's a extra wish list item for me uh, that I'm looking into. And hopefully next time we'll, we talk, I'll uh, I'll be able to name drop a 
few favorites. So one that we found, I don't know if you're familiar with this one. Have you heard of DataHawk? Yeah. So we've recently implemented DataHawk, and that's been pretty insightful to like understand like broader categories and what's moving there. So kind of a unique tool that doesn't get a whole lot of uh, love in the Amazon space too much, or it's not spoken of a whole lot, but it's got a very unique approach. Yeah, yeah. I, I like what I saw. We did a demo. It's, uh, it looks awesome. Very cool. Awesome. All right. Last question. Who is somebody that you admire or respect the most in the e-commerce space and why? Um, you know, I, I really think it's 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 the folks that are putting it on the line and, and testing and learning. Right. I mean, it it takes one person. And I heard a quote where, you know, you know, 99 percent of people have an idea and only one percent execute on it. So props to uh, to those folks that have have started have struggled, have uh, done the ups and downs and are still aggressively testing and learning. Um, those are my favorite people to work with. Um, you know, moving beyond the ROAS and getting into, you know, LTV and incrementality and some of those new areas that are that are hard. Um, it's tough. And, and I admire those those folks. Awesome. I love it. You dodge the question, but also provide some good value there. I like it. You must be a lawyer in uh, in some other world, right? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Well, Jeff, this has been a fantastic conversation. People want to learn more. They want to reach out to you and want to see what AI commerce is all about and maybe utilize your guys' services to expand their marketplaces. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can hit me up directly, Jeff at AIcommerce.com or hit our website at AIcommerce.com and uh, let them know Josh sent you. Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your knowledge with us. I love it. Happy to educate anytime. Take care, Josh. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.